Welcome in to the Super Bowl Split the Seam episode. Uh, no Leo Silverman today. He's out doing something. I don't know. It's a busy week for us all. Uh, Dominic Stern, Josh Golden here. We'll hold down the fort for you. Josh, I mean, it's it's one of the best weeks in sports. I mean, college basketball is kind of like really getting kicked into gear. Uh, Waste Management, Phoenix Open, Super Bowl, NBA trade deadline. It's been a fun week. Yeah, it's been a busy week, big time week. I wish I could say I'm looking forward to doing nothing other than watching college basketball, golf, UFC, and football this weekend. But unfortunately, I got a ton of homework to do. So we'll try to get that done tonight, tomorrow morning, and enjoy the weekend. It should be a crazy sports weekend. Yeah, I got to get everything done tonight as well because I'm going to the Waste Management Phoenix Open. Uh, plan on definitely not being a drunk 20 year old there. Uh, and then and I am I've, incredibly jealous of you and will be looking forward to spotting you while I'm watching. Yes. I'll probably be on hole 12. Uh, it's going to be my spot. Uh, part four, right? three, part three, it's right yeah. on the water. It's gorgeous. Oh, beautiful. Yes. Uh, so the part threes are the way to go for any golf enthusiasts. My dad taught me that, but we're, we're going to start this episode off talking about some baseball because that's how we start off most of our episodes. Uh, one, there's still been no disagree or no agreements have been come to plenty of disagreements. <laughs> yes. Financially. However, Josh, there will be a DH next year and there will be a draft lottery for the first time in major league baseball history. I, I still don't know how the draft lottery is going to work, but uh, I think it's going to, help discourage some tanking. So you're not going to see the Orioles try and go out and lose 110 games. Yeah. To be honest with you, I think I'm not the biggest fan of draft lotteries and other sports in the NHL and the NBA are the only two ones that I know of that have them. Not a big fan of them just because I don't think they're too necessary in those leagues. I do think it is something that will help out baseball though, especially just because of the process that these draft picks go through. I do think that is necessary as well. It's going to, it's not going to change too much because at the end of the day, we've seen so many number one prospects fail and we've seen so many nothing prospects turn into big time players. And it's really all just goes down to development that you have in your minor league system. So I don't think it's going to change too much. I do like that they are going to be doing it though. I do think it will discourage some teams from tanking maybe slightly. I do think there are more things that need to be done to discourage teams from tanking more specifically building that salary floor, which I do think will ideally get done. As far as the DH goes, I'm not sure if you know my opinions on the DH, Dom, but I have been very adamant about honestly not caring whether there's a DH or not. I just think having it different in both leagues is stupid, and I'm glad they will not be doing that anymore. I'm glad that all of Major League Baseball now has the same rules because that is how sports leagues are supposed to operate. Yeah. I, the, the two different leagues has been always bizarre. And as long as people can respect that, then I, I mean, you can disagree on the fact of whether or not there should be a DH or whether there shouldn't be a DH, but the having two totally separate leagues has always been weird. And it was even more weird when like before, I think 2011 was when the Astros left the NL central to join the AL West. So then at that point there was 15 teams in each league. I mean, baseball is just bizarre. I mean, there's really no other way around it. There were 31 teams in the NHL, but uh, before this year for the Kraken, I'm excited to have DH back in National League Baseball just because I was on the side of, you know, hey, like I, I enjoyed the strategy 
of, oh man, like the pitcher, like, should I leave him in double switching to try and get as many outs out of your pitcher before he has to get pulled. And I, that's how I felt prior to the 2020 season. And then I sat down and I just watched baseball with the DH and I said, what was I thinking? I mean, it's just, it improved the quality of the at-bats. It it didn't give that free out to teams sometimes. And you saw less intentional walks to get the pitcher up. It just made it a lot better. So I'm happy that they're important. They're instigating the, uh, the DH. Yeah. I want to ask you a kind of stupid question about this as a former pitcher. We always kind of hear not really, a divide is the wrong word for it, but there's just very specific differences between pitchers and hitters in a locker room. And I'm just curious to know from the perspective of a former pitcher, do you think this universal acceptance of the DH kind of separates those two groups in the locker room a little bit more? I mean, I, I think it does because in, and I'll, I'll add a follow-up to that. Do you think that's good for the game or bad for the game or it doesn't really matter? I don't think it matters. I'll start with that because I mean, in at the high school level, I mean, there are guys who come into the program and are basically told, Hey, you're, you're not, you're not going to have like a future hitting or in the field with us. And you're going to be a PO and some guys they get away. I mean, like myself got away with being a hitter and a fielder before I got to the varsity level. And then once you get to varsity, you just pitch. It doesn't change the team dynamic of anything. I mean, sure. The position players give you crap, but, and that's the way that a lot of these guys have been dealt. Now, a lot of these pitchers in the high school and maybe even at the beginning going into college level, they still played the field. So it can be a little bit different, difficult, but I I don't think it's going to negatively impact baseball at all. I mean, I think it's just going to, they're, they're, everyone's going to be teammates in the clubhouse and you're going to have to gel them out of the position. Interesting. Um, no, I do think that kind of taking a step back now, I do think the addition of the DH is going to be good for the game in some extent. I mean, we're going to see more run scored obviously, which is what fans want to see. They want to see more offensive firepower. You know, you want to see the home runs, you want to see the big hits and things like that. And kind of taking a step back and looking at it from the Mets perspective, because that's what I'm always going to do. I think it's great for the Mets coming into the season. I mean, we're going to see a lot more of Dom Smith and that'll give Robbie Cano an opportunity to get into the mix as well. And I do think that this change is something I was hoping for simply just because I do think it gives the Mets a lot more flexibility in the lineup heading into this year. So I'm excited about that. Yeah. And I'm excited for it too. As a Padres fan, the uh, the only time in the last 15 years the Padres made the playoffs was when they had the DH. So, uh, not not pointing to it or not, but maybe it's just right. the DH. Um, so who do you think is going to be the frequent DH for the Padres? Are they going to look at Hosmer there? Maybe put Crony at first and start Haas on Kim? Or well, no, they still have Adam Frazier. No, they don't. Frazier's a Mariner. Right. So it would be Kim at second, or are they going to put someone else at the DH? How's that going to work? Don't know. I mean, they could go out and get someone uh, is what a lot of right. Potters fans seem to think they're going to do. Uh, Hosmer. Isn't Nelson Cruz still out there? Nelson Cruz, Castellanos, Chris Bryant are all guys the Potters have been linked to. Uh, I, don't I don't think, think any, Castellanos or Bryant would be DHs though. Uh, I mean, Castellanos would absolutely be a DH. It was like the worst defensive right fielder in baseball last year. <laughs> and Myers was like 
pretty close to that. Yeah. Uh, so I mean, I like say. Myers, Myers is a potential DH. And I mean, I, the thing with Myers was in the shortened season. And I mean, you, you have been a big harper of this. Myers is extremely inconsistent and you're absolutely right. Uh, and part of the reason he had some consistency in 2020 was because he just played right field and he stayed healthy in 2021. He did play just right field. And when he was getting the consistent playing time, cause he stayed off the injured list, he was playing well, he was being consistent or he, but there, there, there wasn't any consistency with him because then he was started to sit later in the year. He had some injuries, but when he got consistent playing time, he was really good. So to make Myers a DH, I mean, I think that could be a potential solution for that. He's a $20 million DH, which and correct me fun. if I'm wrong. He did take some start to DH during that 2020 season. Correct. I think a couple, but it wasn't a lot, right? But I, I mean, mean, there were only so many games, but yes, he thrives on consistency. And so if you can mm-hmm. find a way to help out that consistency, potentially using him as the DH, I think that could help, but Hosmer is a potential solution though. Kim at second, Crone with at first, or even Kim at DH just to try and get him more at bats or go externally oh. free agency or in a trade. We'll see. Uh, I think it has to be either, <clears throat> it has to be either external or you have to put it as Hosmer and then Crony at first house on Kim at second. I do think house on Kim is someone who should be looking at a little bit more playing time this year, but we'll see. Yeah. And I mean, Kim's playing time is basically shot in the foot last year when they traded for Frazier and his best asset, at least so far has been his glove. So like it would be dumb the Pathoma at DH, but if you want to find a way to get him more at bats, the DH is a route for that. So, I mean, that's going to be interesting as for like the financial talks. I mean, it's just been really ugly. Uh, the players like took it to Twitter to like basically like stand up in, in unison. Um, they basically shot down what the owners wanted to do and bring in federal mediation, which is so dumb. Uh, mm-hmm. But I mean, it, it worked in a way because the owners are like, all right, like we're going to come with a proposal uh, on Saturday. We're recording this on Friday. It's probably going to get released and you'll be listening to it maybe Friday night or Saturday morning. But uh, I mean, hopefully there will be some good news for us on Saturday. Yeah, we'll hope so. I'll also add that watching the waste management open right now, they just showed Devin Booker on standing out there in a Matthew Stafford Lions jersey. Thought that was pretty funny. And I'll use that to kind of transition us now. We're going to head into a little football here and that'll wrap up baseball talk because it's Super Bowl weekend. You got Matty Ice in the Super Bowl and it's it's a big game for him, Dom. I I can't wait. I mean, there's been uh, the, I, I, I've told this to you. The best part about being in the Super Bowl is the two weeks leading up to it where everyone is talking about your team and obviously the other team. But uh, yeah. so, I mean, the narratives around Matthew Stafford uh, have always been like kind of iffy. I don't want to, I don't, if he's the wrong word, but like there's been his doubters. And, you know, there was in November, the doubters, they were 100% right. But it was just that one month he's bounced back. He's had times where he's looked a little, uh, jumpy and skippy, but I mean, the dude's gone out there and performed extremely well this postseason, and uh, he's uh, he's getting relished by the media because of it. Uh, absolutely, and you mentioned that a little bit, so I'm just going to go 0-100 to 100 real quick. A lot of the relishing in the media I've been hearing has been, you know, a little bit crazy, and I think there have been some things that are kind of, I don't want to say blown out of proportion, because I don't know if I completely disagree with it. I just want to know your opinion on it. The Rams do get this win on Sunday as Matthew Stafford Hall of Famer. 
Uh, I mean, if he wins, I, I think, I think he, he's got a shot. I, I really do. I mean, this is kind of like the one thing he's truly missing. I mean, yeah, he's missing an MVP, but Philip Rivers never won an MVP. A lot of people consider him to be a Hall of Famer. Eli Manning never won an MVP. A lot of people consider him to be a Hall of Famer. Ben Roethlisberger. It's, it's also difficult in his career to win an MVP. I'd imagine since the time he's been drafted to right now, at least definitely the majority of the MVPs have been given to three guys between Rodgers, Brady, and Peyton Manning. Yeah. And I mean, then you throw in great seasons from franchises that aren't run like total crap with Matt Ryan, Cam Newton, you know, just those guys getting the the spots. It's a different story. And he's finally in an organization that can give him a chance to win an MVP. I mean, if he wins on Sunday and he wins an MVP, he's a lock for the Hall of Fame. I mean, I, I think he's right on the edge right now, and he's got a couple more chances to really boost himself in there. If he didn't get out of Detroit, it probably wasn't going to happen. I completely agree with that. And now I'll take a step back here. Do we want to fully go into the game, or do you want to hit on some of these coaching hires first? No, we should do coaching hires first, and then we can wrap it up with uh, Super Bowl. Let's do it. So the three that we have not gotten a chance to discuss yet, now that all these head coaching vacancies are filled, correct me if I'm wrong, but the three that we haven't discussed yet are Mike McDaniel to Miami, Lovey Smith to Houston and Dennis Allen to New Orleans, correct? Yes. McDaniel, you mentioned McDaniel, right? Yes. Yeah. Those right. are the so guys those are the we, three we have not touched on yet. So of those three kind of who stands out to you, why, and how do you feel about each of those hires? Well, I think the Lovey Smith hire is certainly an interesting one because he had a generally successful coaching tenure in Chicago. His teams won, which they haven't done a lot of since he's left. And he's also coached at the collegiate level afterwards at Illinois. There wasn't a lot of success there, but it's hard to be right. successful at Illinois in the Correct. big 10 because there's so much history there and there's so much, and there's so many programs that are there right now that are really good. Now, when was the last time Illinois won 10 games in a season? It has to be 30 years at least. I mean, that's, that'd be my guess. I think Belema is a good guy there right now, but that's not the point. Uh, and then Lovey Smith, he, he was in Houston this past year uh, under David Coley. And then Houston's name kind of gets thrown under the bus in the Brian Flores lawsuit. And then they go out and they hire a blackhead coach. We, we, we mentioned our thoughts on the Flores stuff in the last episode. So if you really want that, we're not going to dive back into it. You can go listen to our last episode. Uh, I, it just, it's just interesting because former head coach, uh, you love to see them get another opportunity in a different situation. Uh, you know, you really get to test them as a coach in that aspect. Uh, it's always good to see another blackhead coach getting a chance, uh, especially because we don't see a lot of blackhead coaches get second chances. I mean, one of the only few ones that really stands out in my mind is Tony Dungy. And he was for some reason fired in Tampa Bay after he coached up and made a team great. And then, uh, and the, the year he leaves, they won a super bowl, uh, with John Gruden, but, uh, I just, I, there's just a lot of layers to it. And it's in part because of the Flores situation. Uh, and then also McCown, uh, the, the rumors around him circling there were certainly interesting, but I, I think Levy Smith's a good hire. There, there hasn't really been any hires that I like hated this, 
this time. I mean, O'Connell, I'm like, all right. But uh, I mean, I, I think this is a good hire. There's a lot of layers to it that we don't understand because we weren't there, but uh, glad to see Lovey get another chance in the NFL. Right. And I agree with you. I don't think there are any that I actively hated, but there were definitely some I disagree with. As far as these three, I, I feel like I was pretty happy with them. I'll start with McDaniel. I mean, I think everyone knows exactly what I'm going to say here. You pick a guy from that Kyle Shanahan coaching crew, you know, I'm going to like him. I mean, I trust what they build out there in San Francisco. And I think McDaniel has certainly been a big part of what Shanahan has built for a very long time. I mean, he had him with him in Atlanta and brought him over. He's been with him in San Francisco the whole time. And he's really a key part of scheming up their running game. And you guys have heard me talk about it millions of times, how everything Shanahan does is based off of the running game, based off of that motion. And I think he's going to bring some of that over to Miami with Tua. And I think that's going to help him a lot too, because it's similar to what he did down at Alabama, where he was really thriving with Steve Sarkeesian. So I think that'll be a really unique fit down in Miami. I think McDaniel's certainly a weird guy. I don't know how much that's going to work, but I do think that in terms of just X's and O's, he really is a good fit down there in Miami, and he is going to do very well with Tua, I believe. As far as Lovey Smith goes now, I just have always been a Lovey Smith fan. Even back when he was on the Bears, I just I loved that team back in that day, and I just think he's your tough, gritty, defensive coach who I think is going to instill the right culture in Houston. And I think that's where it starts with that organization. And you mentioned the McCown stuff. I wanted to bring that up. He will likely be on that staff. And I think that what Jack Easterby's plan is there, I mean, he's obviously crazy, but he wants McCown to be the head coach of this team one day. And I just don't think McCown is quite there yet. He obviously has no coaching experience. So to go from nothing to a head coach, I think is a little bit crazy. He'll come on the staff in some form of a capacity. And I do think Lovey is kind of going to be that mentor for Josh McCown. And eventually he will transition to that head coaching role. As far as Lovey Smith for now, though, I do think he will get Houston back on the right track. Obviously, Houston's just a tough spot to evaluate simply because of the question of the quarterback position. You don't know if they'll somehow be able to retain Deshaun Watson. You don't know if they'll be able to move Deshaun Watson, if they'll be able to move him, how much are they going to get for Deshaun Watson? So there's a lot of questions there that are going to need to be answered. And we're going to have to wait on that for a while, but good for Lovey Smith to get a second opportunity. I certainly think he deserves it and he has for a while. So I'm very happy for him. Over to New Orleans, Dennis Allen, this was a no-brainer. I mean, there's not much else to say about that. He's been there for seven years since his head coaching stint in Oakland ended. He's been on that Saints staff. He's been the defensive coordinator ever since, and he's really learned under Sean Sean Payton, and this just seems like a no-brainer to me. Stick with the infrastructure you have and keep it rolling. Right. No, I mean, as soon as we had that podcast with Sean Payton, stepping down, I said, Dennis Allen should absolutely be the head coach here. And, you know, it's glad to see that I finally got a head coaching hire, right. Uh, as we, we talked about in our last episode, our, I think that might've been the easiest head coaching hire to predict in a very long time, but it was, but I, you know, we got, we got to take our credit when we can take it. Uh, so I mean, good hire. We'll see how Dennis Allen, cause he was a former Raiders head coach, right? Yes. From, so, I don't remember the dates on it. It was like 
2012 to 14, I believe. He was before Jack Del Rio. Yes. Who should have never been fired. I agree. Uh, He's where now? He's out of Jacksonville. He was in Washington, I'm pretty sure. Interesting. Uh, and I don't know. Not not exactly sure. Blackjack. But, uh, I mean, I thought they did a good job. So, uh, good job for New Orleans. Uh, retaining, like you mentioned, that culture. The defense was strong this year. And they, uh, they were a Rams second half collapse away from making it into the playoffs. And I think that says a lot. So completely agree. Uh, did we, there's one other one that I, that we haven't talked about, right? No, just those three McDaniel, Lovey, and um, Dennis Allen. So now we'll take a step back. We have all nine head coaching hires solidified. I'm going to ask you and put you on the spot. Favorite head coaching hire. Oh, hey, that's a tough one. Uh, it's not going to be McDaniels. I know you agree on that one. Uh, Probably not. Uh, best one. I'm not quite sure. Uh, I mean, I, I like Dable to New York. I really do. Let I me think just we, read through the list for you so you have them all fresh on your mind. Bears with Matt Eberflus. Broncos. Is it Eberflus? Eberflus? I can never remember. But Broncos with Nathaniel Hackett. Giants, Brian Dable. Raiders, Josh McDaniels, Vikings, Kevin O'Connell, Jaguars, Doug Peterson, Dolphins, Mike McDaniel, Texans, Lovey Smith, Saints, Dennis Allen. Uh, I won't lie. Uh, I'm going to go with Doug Peterson to Jacksonville. Uh, I don't agree even slightly. My least I, favorite. It's <laughs> funny. Uh, <laughs> my favorite's your least favorite. Uh, classic. Uh, I mean, I you know he's won a Super Bowl before. And he did it with a young up and coming like big build quarterback. So I think he can do that. I think he can actually be a leader and the players there can like him. And uh, I mean, Shad Khan, he's a way different type of owner than, uh, than is it? It's Jeff Lurie, right? Yes. Yeah. He's the owner. So, I mean, I think they're, they're going to be less hands-on with that. And I think that'll help out Doug Peterson. Absolutely. I I think mine is Josh McDaniels. I mean, I just think that <laughs> you give him a real opportunity now and you bring, I'm blanking on the name of the GM who came with him. I, I want to say Ziegler, right? Dave Ziegler, I think his name is, but coming with that new England infrastructure and they finally have a real opportunity with a real quarterback for McDaniels. And I think that he getting this head job is set in a good spot for a long time with Derek Carr. I We've heard me talk about the Raiders for a really long time. I'm a big Derek Carr fan. I think this is the right spot for McDaniels. I think he's going to do a lot of good things for Derek Carr. And I think we're going to be talking about Derek Carr as a top 10 quarterback in the NFL next year. I mean, I love Derek Carr too. So I would love for that to happen. I, I had, I think McDaniels was more of a product of Tom Brady. I think that's shown a little bit the last two years, but I mean, Derek Carr has a lot of similarities to, to Tom Brady. He's even more agile. So you can see him instigate some of the stuff that he's had to add into the offense with more mobile quarterbacks. Obviously cams very mobile. And then Mac is more mobile than Tom was. So absolutely. And um, I would say Carr has a much better arm than Brady did too. Uh, maybe he might not be as accurate with it, but in terms of just throwing the ball down the field and airing it out a little bit, he's able to throw that deep ball much better. 
Yeah. Uh, it'll be interesting because I've never been like good with head coaches. I, so uh, I didn't think McVeigh was a great hire. And now uh, on our last episode, I said that McVeigh was the second best head coach in the league, only behind Bill Belichick, who has eight Super Bowl rings as a, as a coach. So uh, we'll see. Anything else? I on the think head coaching Sean front? Payton retiring helped you with that argument. I, I don't. I mean, I, I think the guy that he like jumped is Andy Reid is the guy who I think that he's kind of shown jumping up. I mean, yeah, Sean Payne, if the referees make the right call, we're probably looking at the Saints in the Super Bowl against the Patriots. And mm-hmm. that, that would change the argument. But at the same time, Sean Payton, in a chance where they could have killed the clock through two passing plays. inside, Right, but he yard. also threw two passing plays with the top 10 quarterback of all time. Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. So Can't really blame uh, him, you know? I mean, yeah, I guess he got I mean, Mary back there too, but... Without a doubt, Sean Payton leaving takes away one less coach you could argue is better than Sean McVay. No doubt about that. Uh, but I considered McVay better than Payton before uh, before this uh, this year. So, uh, and you and also fine. know that I am pretty critical of McVay just in terms of his play calling. I have it's seen- shoddy at times. There are certainly instances to where I don't think he dials up the right play and. I mean, you can say that about every play caller in the NFL, and that's just the way it's going to go sometimes. But I do think I happen to say that about McVay much more than others. Yep. Uh, is there anything else on head coaching that we need to talk about? No, just keep an eye out on some coordinator hires. I think a lot of those are going to be quite interesting. There's a couple spots that are unique. I just saw that Seattle hired Sean Desai to be their defensive coordinator, former defensive coordinator for the Chicago Bears. He was serving in his first year this past year. Obviously, they're changing up the coaching staff. So to Cy chose to walk and now he'll be going to Seattle. I think he's a really, really bright young defensive mind. And I think he is going to revitalize that Seattle defense. They need it. Uh, they don't have a whole lot of talent on that defense. They do have some talented players that I doubt. I mean, Bobby Wagner's still there. Probably. And they were playing well down the stretch too. Yeah. hundred uh, percent. It's also going to be interesting to see. I mean, Pete Carroll and Pete Carroll's still there at this point, which makes me believe that he's going to be there on opening day. Uh, I would assume so. I don't know. Right. Exactly. Not. Well, I mean, we, we've seen some weird stuff happen before. I mean, I thought he was done for sure. Uh, so, I mean, the whole Russell Wilson thing is also going to be interesting to follow up too, because he's basically made it clear that he wants to go play football somewhere else and kind of start branding himself more for post-retirement play. I don't understand why he can't do that in a, in Seattle, but whatever. I mean, I'll take it. I still think he should stick it out for one more year in Seattle. And like, to be perfectly honest with you, I don't know how to say it any other way. Russell Wilson should be a New York giant. It just feels like the perfect marriage for him in every single way. And he should just give it one more year so they can ride out Daniel Jones, decide that's not the right place for them. Give one more year with Pete Carroll in Seattle, then Carroll's going to retire, and then you can move on. And yeah. just in terms of what he wants to do in terms of marketing himself and post-retirement and setting that up and things like that, New York's just the perfect spot for him. And I think he is going to be perfect for that New York media. So I would really like to see that happen one day. And Sierra can live in New York City. Exactly. So let's uh, let's jump into the Super Bowl. I mean... Should be a great, exciting matchup. I mean, the line's at four now, right? Yes, it's still sitting at four. 
Well, I, I know I, maybe it's just cause I've been like looking at like different places. I know it started at three and a half and moved to four and then it moved up to four and a half and then it moved all the way down to three and a half and now it's at four. So we're seeing a lot of line movement, which for an event like the Super Bowl, I mean, you'll see because a lot of people are coming in and putting a lot of money on it. Uh, yeah. And also it's not serious line movement. You're not, it's not moving off of a football number. So that's what's key. Yeah, that is true. So uh, I'm people are, are excited. I mean, Bengals, it's been a long time since they've been in the Super Bowl. And the Rams, they get to play in their home stadium in front of their home crowd, which, you know, it's not always that much stock into the Rams home crowd. Right. Exactly. That's the, the I, was, that's what I was trying prices, to point out. Ticket prices went down for the Super Bowl since the Sunday morning of the conference title games in the like, hometown. Yeah. Ha, almost half the price uh-huh. in the hometown of one of the teams playing. So, I mean, well, it, because 49ers the home. Correct. <laughs> Which is right. crazy to it's, think about, but I mean, that's just the way that LA is. I mean, that's what happens when you have the second biggest city in a, uh, in the United States in a city where, cause I mean, New York is the biggest city. Chicago is the third and Houston's the fourth. I think more people move to the city of LA than move to Houston, New York and Houston than any of those other markets. And I think that's why you see, a large influx of other fan bases there. Now it also means that there's not a whole lot of Rams fans and chargers fans because they didn't grow up there. And I mean, there's I, I mean, inevitably there's these past couple of years have helped the Rams fan base because they've been there and they've played really well. And people naturally support teams when they do well and they don't do it as much when they don't do well. So uh, the celebrity, it's going to be, I mean, just like coming out of commercial breaks and like going into commercial breaks, I think we're going to see like the best list of celebrities of like any sporting event ever, just because it's in LA. Uh, I don't know about that. I mean, I think that, I don't know. I mean, people go to the Super Bowl no matter where the Super Bowl is. So I don't but it's think easy. That, right. But it's, you know, when you have the Super Bowl in Miami or you have the Super Bowl in destination places, people still travel there. I don't know if it'll be the best we've ever seen, but we're definitely going to see a nice crowd there for sure. That is true. Uh, but I mean, let, let's get down. Let's do you want to do it by like position and whatnot? Let's start on one side of the ball. How about that? Let's go which offense against which defense. You tell me. Well, let's do the Rams offense against the Bengals defense. I would say save the more interesting one for last. Yeah. I mean, the Bengals defense has just flown under the radar all year. It's been, in my opinion, the more consistent uh, group of players, obviously the Bengals offense at its height has proven to be one of the league's best, but there's also been games where Joe Burrow has thrown two pick six. Uh, so uh, he yeah, has I his mean, games. But I mean, the Bengals defense has just been consistent. They've been above average. They've, but in the postseason, they've been really good because they've been able to keep teams out of the end zone, which we've talked about and we'll also talk about on the other side. Because uh, their offense hasn't been scoring a lot of touchdowns, but their defense has been playing so well against teams that have, I mean, the Chiefs have obviously an elite offense, but 
against other playoff offenses, keeping them out of the end zone and giving their offense a good chance of winning the game. Right. And you kind of hit on it there. A lot of people say that, you know, a football game is one in the trenches. It's one, it's one at the line of scrimmage. You got to win those matchups between the hog mollies. I like to call them the offensive line against the defensive line. But I think in this matchup, the game is going to be one outside of the twenties, not between the twenties, but outside the twenties in those red zone opportunities, who's going to be able to take advantage of them the most. Because I think with these two offenses, we're going to see maybe one will get a few more opportunities than the other, but I don't see one team getting, you know, six red zone trips and the other getting two. I think it's going to be a fairly even number and whoever just finishes on those and capitalizes on them is going to be the team that ends up hoisting that Lombardi trophy. As far as the matchup between this Rams defense, this Rams offense and the Bengals defense, though, I think what's going to be really important, first of all, is being able to generate pressure for this defensive line. I mean, we've seen Hendrickson and Hubbard do it all year, and I think they're going to be able to come on strong against this Rams offensive line. But the part where it's going to be a little bit concerning for the Bengals is that secondary. I mean, they do have some good safeties in Jesse Bates and Von Bell, but you look at that secondary and I think Eli Apple is going to be someone that they're going to target a lot. I don't know if he'll be lined up against Odell or he's going to be helping double cup. I'd imagine they will be double in cup. And if you do that, that is going to open up a lot of opportunities for a playmaker like Odell Beckham. And I truly believe that if the Rams do, or excuse me, if the Bengals do choose to really focus a lot of attention on cup, which obviously is not a bad idea considering he's very clearly the best wide receiver in the national football league this year. And it's just going to open so many opportunities up for the other guys. Obviously Odell's the big name there, but you look at a guy like Van Jefferson too. I know Tyler Higby isn't going to play this week, right? Nope. That was announced today. Bummer. Right. So that'll be one piece they're missing. So that could help the Bengals secondary out a little bit, but you're still going to have a lot of options there. Van Jefferson. And of course the star and Odell Beckham, I would be a little bit concerned doubling Cooper Cup completely for the entire game. I think you're going to have to beat him with some zones, to be honest with you. I'm not sure exactly how this is going to work out for them, but it's going to be a really, really interesting matchup to see. Kind of, There's just so many weapons on this offensive side of the ball between the run game, between Cup, and between Odell that you kind of got to pick your poison if you're the Bengals and to see if Joey Burrow can hang. Yeah, the... Both these teams have a plethora of options offensively. When you look at it, the Rams, Cooper Cup, like you mentioned, league's leading wide receiver this year and in the postseason. He's been dominant and no one's ever been able to stop him. I mean, in 17 out of the 20 games, he's gone over his total in Vegas, which, you know, that's not everything, but I mean, it's it's something like he just gets yards. It's no other way around it. He has 22 touchdowns this year in a 20 in 20 games. Uh, so I just I, I hope that the offensive line is the worry for me for the Rams. Uh, they've they've played well uh, for the most part outside of November. Uh, November was just a bad month for the Rams for some odd reason. And then if they that can was, protect, remind me who those games were. That was the Niners Monday night game. That was the, Tennessee was the, loss. Ti- the Titans game before their bye, and then the green Bay game. They went right. 0 three and they were all pretty pitiful losses. Yeah. The green Bay game, the score didn't show how bad they got beat there. No. So the, the O-line has to protect because the Rams weapons are going to be able to get open against 
some of the Cincinnati defenders who are good. They're good. Chidobi Awuzie, Mike Hilton. They've, they've done well. Uh, shout out. What, what's his name? Eli Apple. Oh, uh, my, my friend sent out a funny tweet that said, uh, Eli Apple, when he reads the uh, Super Bowl script that says he has to allow a touchdown to Cooper cup. And it was pretty funny. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, the Rams are going to have their chances to, uh, explode against this defense that I don't think matches up with them talent wise, but as we all know, talent doesn't always win. And last time we saw a more talented Rams team in the Super Bowl, they only scored three points. So we'll see. It's also cup gets to play in the Super Bowl this time around. Right. I forgot he didn't play in that last game. What was the injury he had? I can't, he tore, he tore his ACL in week 10. Oh, wow. That's, that's a big one. Um, well, they'll also be missing another wide receiver out there in Robert Woods, who I obviously would have loved to have seen in this game, former Buffalo bill product out of USC, who of course has a lot of good LA roots. And I know he's going to be missing this one, but he, he did play in that Super Bowl against the Patriots, obviously the loss, but would have been nice to see him in this one. I mean, I, I think if you had that extra weapon out there, I don't know how the Rams would be slowed down, but they still have plenty of options to go to with that Odell Beckham addition. And I do think that they're in a more than good shape on that offensive side of the ball, but on defense, they have a tough task of stopping Joey Burrow, huh? Yeah, they will. And Joe Burrow has been elusive. I mean, this is going to be, I don't want to say the best pass rush he's faced because the Tennessee Titans pass rush has been. Very oh, I'll good say it's year. the best pass rush he's faced this playoffs. Cool. Uh, but no I mean, doubt. Tennessee sacked him nine times. So there, there is a way if you can contain Joe Burrow and like get him down when you get to him, like the Titans did, they're only going to score 19 points and get one touchdown. Uh, the problem is like we saw in the chiefs game, he's very hard to bring down. So that, that, that's gotta be the goal for the Rams defense because I mean, I don't know how they're going to match up Jamar Chase. Uh, there's been talks like, Hey, they should double team him and then have, uh, have Jalen Ramsey uh, lock up either T Higgins or Tyler Boyd go in between them, make sure that none of those two guys get hot and then have either David Long or Darius Williams, whoever's not on the double team or even Robert Rochelle, uh, one of those guys on the other one, or they could just match up Ramsey against chase depend on their guy and Ramsey, who only allowed like two touchdowns in coverage this year. Uh, one of which was the last ever Tom Brady passing touchdown. Uh, they, they could do oh, that. That's nice to hear. <laughs> right. So we'll, we'll see what the Rams do. It's all about bringing down Joe Burrow. They're going to get pressure on him because the Bengals offensive line and pass protection is not great. And also big news today from the Rams, Sebastian Joseph day, their nose tackle who is having his career best year. Uh, he's coming back for the game. So, I mean, you're going to see him, Greg Gaines and Ashawn Robinson swapping in and out. And uh, I, I think that could help out with stopping Joe Mixon, who's had also a career year. Right. And you mentioned that um, one second, let me just look this up. I'm sorry. I'm in the middle of a thought here. Um, anyway, you mentioned the, Bengals offensive line going up against this Rams D line. And to me, that's the one spot in this game where I feel like the game can just end right there. I think you look at the weakness of this Bengals team is clearly that offensive line. And I think the strength of the Rams, you could argue is that wide receiver core, but I think with Robert, with Robert Woods out, the strength of this team is certainly that defensive line between Aaron Donald 
Von Miller and the one from Leonard Floyd, you got 14 double digit sack seasons. That's a lot of experience on that D line against a pretty inexperienced Bengals offensive line. I mean, you got a lot of young guys there. I know Quentin Spain's been there around the league for a little bit, but you got a young Jonah Williams who is essentially a rookie after missing his rookie season. And he's now in his second year. Is this his third year? Maybe I'm wrong about that. I don't know, but he did miss his rookie season. And then just not too many guys out there who have been two seasons in the NFL. So I just think that that's certainly the hole for them. And that's where the Rams can just end the game like that. What the Bengals are going to have to do is they're going to have to call a lot of screens early, just kind of get that D line running sideline to sideline, as opposed to just running at Joey Burrow, kind of get them a little bit tired out early so that you're able to start working your offense a little bit and just kind of have that threat of the screen game, I think is going to be really important for the Bengals to get their offense going. And as well, you just, when you're dropping back to pass on those third and long situations or really any situation or dropping back to pass, you're going to have to chip the DN somewhere. I mean, this offensive line is just not going to hold up all day. You got to, it's the same thing we were talking about when we were going back to April, when we were arguing about whether or not the Bengals should select Panay Sewell or Jamar Chase. Obviously they took Jamar Chase and I think it's worked out pretty darn well for them, but you got to step back and look at the fact that it doesn't matter how good Jamar Chase is. If Joey Burrows was sitting there on his butt, he's got to have the time to find him and throw him the ball. The priority needs to be the protection. Yeah, it, it has to be. And I mean, that, that's the matchup that almost everyone has been pointing to uh, this entire week, but I don't even think it's going to be a matchup. I mean, I think the Rams D line is going to dominate. It's just how are the Rams is the Rams D line going to be able to bring them, bring them down. I mean, I think that's what it comes down to. They're going to get the pressures. They got pressure on San Francisco. who was a much better offensive line. They got pressure on Tampa Bay. who's a good offensive line. albeit they're banged up and they've just been getting pressure on everyone. So I don't think that getting the pressure part is going to be the problem. It's all about, can they bring Joe Burrow down? Can they affect Joe Burrow to the point where he's not able to make throws how he wants to make throws? He can make throws on the run, but can he make uncomfortable throws on the run? He can make throws from the pocket. Can he make uncomfortable throws from the pocket where he's got a hand in his face where he can't step into it? That's how the Rams are going to have to win. Can they bring him down? Can he elude guys? Because the Rams linebacking core is not good. It's, it's just not. So if Joe Burrow can avoid the sack, and get outside, he's going to be able to make a lot of plays. So I, I think that is where the uh, the stance comes. They got to be able to bring him down. Absolutely. And not taking a step back here and looking at that secondary, you brought up Jalen Ramsey earlier, but that's someone I want to bring up again. Obviously, one of the best corners in the game, if not the best, and that's certainly a weapon there on that back end for that Rams defense. But you know, there's a lot of great receivers on that Bengals team. Jamar Chase, T. Higgins, Tyler Boyd. And I believe they'll have C.J. Uzama, the tight end back as well. And how, where do you put Ramsey to kind of slow them down? Who do you want him to limit? Do you try to double Jamar and put Jalen Ramsey on one of those guys to just slow him down and then have see who can beat you? Or do you want to take the risk? put Jamar Chase one-on-one with Jalen Ramsey, see who can win that battle. And then you got 10 on 10 everywhere else. Do you want to kind of 
let him go Revis Island a little bit against Jamar Chase is the question that we have here. And maybe they'll kind of mix it up between the first and second half. And I also think that that's the one thing that I'm really going to be intrigued in is who is going to make the right halftime adjustments? Because, you know, a lot of people say halftime adjustments don't matter because there's only so much time in that halftime, but Hey, this is the Super Bowl. The Super Bowl. There's a musical performance at halftime. It's going to last about what half hour, forty five minutes, the whole halftime. You've got plenty of time to make some adjustments, and there's plenty of tricks up your sleeve. I mean, you're emptying the bag of tricks in this game because at the end of the day, this is the last game you're playing this year, and you want to end up hoisting that trophy. So they're going to empty out everything they got. They might show a different look first half than they do second half, similar to what the Bengals did in that game against Kansas city. I'm forgetting if they started man and switched to zone or went the other way around, but that was what rattled Mahomes in the second half and really slowed him down. So it's going to be curious to see who makes that move. Do you think the Bengals are going to be able to have the right trick up their sleeve at halftime or are the Rams going to be the one who gets the right move there? Both coaches are going to make adjustments at halftime. It's just going to be the question of who's worse. Yeah. And Josh, I have a question for you. Who's better in their prime, Darrell Revis or uh, Trayvon Dix? Darrell Revis. Not even close. Someone posted that like legitimately. That's moronic. Darrell Revis in his prime is like a top top five five football player I've ever seen. Yeah. Like he's unreal. So it goes Tom Brady, Peyton Manning. Peyton Manning, Aaron Rodgers, Aaron Donald, Darrell Revis, and Megatron. Patrick Mahomes is in there too. Maybe not yet, but. Uh, but Darrell Revis was a lead zone. I mean, it's unreal. The amount, it's someone just, posted that. People don't quite understand the luxury of having someone like that. Like, he just covers half the field. It's that simple. And the amount of things you're able to do on the other side of the field, it just opens up so many more possibilities. You got guys who are able to cover more space now because there's less that they're going to have to do if Revis is on his own little island there. And right, I mean, oh, he, he and he was he so and Ma- special. He and Muhammad Wilkerson were basically the entire reason that the Jets made it to back-to-back AFC championships. Absolutely, and he was he was a special player, man. He really was. Yep. Uh, I figured I'd Ramsey's uh, nowhere close to it. Not yet. All right. He still can be, but uh, Ramsey's. I I don't, there is no corner in the league right now who I think will ever touch Darrell Reeves. That's perfectly fine. Uh, Ramsey's the best in the league right now. I I think you have to put your best against their best. Uh, We've seen times where Ramsey sticks to his side. We've also seen times where Ramsey, you know, just he follows around guys and maybe he doesn't fall around Jamar Chase the entire game, but like for like two or three drives. And then all, all of a sudden, Oh, I'm going to go guard Boyd for this drive. You know, the Raheem Morris and Brandon Staley, Brandon Staley started this last year. They, they mix up looks and it's been really effective for them. So the Bengals not knowing exactly what they're going to do with Jalen Ramsey going into the game is a strength of the team. Right. And it's a luxury the that ability to just move Jalen around too is going to be something that I'm blanking on who the Rams defensive coordinator is now, but Raheem Morris, Raheem Morris. I'm sorry. Thank you. The, just the way Raheem Morris is going to be able to utilize Jalen Ramsey and 
put him in different spots, I think could really, really impact Joe Burrow because he's never faced a guy like that. No, uh, it's he's he had a teammate like that in college, Derek Stingley, uh, but I, he's never faced him. It's different. So uh, I can't wait to see what they do with it. And I think that's going to be another fascinating thing to watch because the Bengals wide receivers are going to get their own because Darius Williams is an average corner. David Long is a below average corner. He's a below average slot corner. They have, they have matchups that they can exploit and the Bengals receiving core is probably the strength of the team, them and Joe Burrow. So uh, outside of Jalen Ramsey, there are openings for, the Bengals to take advantage of. Absolutely. Absolutely. And we'll move off of that. We kind of took a deep dive on both sides of the ball there. So now taking a step back, looking at the game in the full picture, where do you kind of think this plays out? Who do you think is going to end up winning this game? Where do you lean as far as the score goes? I'll just throw out the numbers. Spread is four. Total is over under 48 and a half. Where do you like there? Who are you leaning towards? Predict the final score if you have one and maybe throw in a Super Bowl MVP for me too. I'll go 27-21 Rams. I think Aaron Donald has multiple sacks. Uh, Rams cover under escapes uh, 48 and a half. And I, I think Aaron Donald, he recorded three tackles in Super Bowl 53. Uh, one quarterback pressure. And uh, a lot of people thought that it should have been roughing the passer when he kind of just like threw Tom Brady down. I think he's going to be able to expose the awful interior and they're going to give him a lot of matchups. I think that they're going to put Leonard Floyd on an Island, I think in this game. And what they're going to do is they're going to space out Aaron Donald and Von Miller on the right side and passing downs where they know they're going to get a pass. And then they're going to have either Ashawn Robinson or Greg Gaines line up for the double team. And then Leonard Floyd on the outside on the other side. And it, it's going to be really fun to watch because they can stunt Aaron around. They can have Aaron bowling ball guys or bowling ball, the guard that he's going up against uh, into the tackle, into the center and try and disrupt the double team. He can do anything. I think, I think it's going to be Aaron Donald's time to shine and maybe even forces a fumble too. And I think Aaron Donald's Super Bowl MVP. I Completely agree with Aaron Donald's Super Bowl MVP. I really think it just takes one big strip sack or forced fumble on a running back and then one more other good play for him to really solidify that because I don't see Matt Stafford throwing for, you know, 250, 300 yards in this game. I think they're just going to matriculate the ball down the field slowly, use the running game and kind of just let it go from there. I don't think he's going to be a world beater in this game. So I think MVP could potentially go somewhere else. And with Donald, it's really just going to take maybe two splash plays for him to be in that conversation. So I definitely like Aaron Donald's Super Bowl MVP. I think there's a lot of good value on that as well. In terms of who's going to win the game, I'll, I've really been going back and forth all week, to be honest with you. There's just a part of me that thinks that the Rams could go up a little bit early and then Joey Burrow kicks it into gear like he did in Kansas city. I mean, we we saw what this team is able to do and, you know, they just, they don't know what they don't know. You know, they are an inexperienced young team, but nothing seems to be too big for these guys. And I, I, I keep going back and forth, but I I am going to pick the Rams. I just think they have more talent. And at the end of the day, this is the Super Bowl. I think the talent's going to shine. I'll go 
2320 Rams. So not going to give them the cover. I do like the under. That's one of my favorite plays of the Super Bowl. Under 48 and a half, I think is going to be a pretty easy one there. And I'll go Aaron Donald Super Bowl MVP as well. Sweet. We're on the same page there. Uh, you're... The other name for Super Bowl MVP I'm going to throw out, though, if it doesn't go to Stafford, I mentioned it a little bit earlier. If they do choose to double Cooper Cup Odell for Beckham the majority Jr. of that game, Odell Beckham Jr. has a very, very good chance of winning MVP. That'd be a good way to circle it, like full circle mm-hmm. for Odell. That'd be really cool for him. Uh, you're, right, we're just going to say it how it is. You're, you're a much bigger gambler than I am. Uh, <laughs> well, what, what props are you looking at here? This, the fun Super Bowl props. I'll be perfectly honest with you. It's been a busy week and I have not gotten a chance to look too much. The one that has stood out to me, I do think successful two-point conversion at plus 260 is a very interesting pick. I think these teams are going to be a little bit aggressive, and I I like that value there on plus 260. No touchback on the opening kickoff is one that I've been hearing a lot about. For those who don't know, the way they do it for the opening kickoff is they use a new ball, not a kicking ball either, just a normal football that they put out there, never been used before to kick for the opening kickoff. And immediately they take it off the field and send it to Canton. That ball is not going out the back of the end zone. That will not be a touchback in terms of, you know, coin toss, Gatorade color, national anthem. Screw it. Not my game. I'm not going to touch it. Heads or tails, Josh, come on. No, no. You all know how I feel about <laughs> coin tosses. We're not going to do it. Um, those are a few that I've looked at. I don't know too much as far as anything else, just because I haven't really gotten too much of an opportunity to look at the picks yet. I think let's take a quick look right now. I wonder what the Odell Beckham yardage prop is. Um, oh, Evan McPherson over seven and a half points. I think that's a really easy one. I think the way that the Bengals red zone offense has been looking. I think that they're going to settle for a couple of field goals. And I like McPherson to get a couple through the uprights. He has been one of their best players in the playoffs. And I don't think that's a stretch to say whatsoever. They would not be here without Evan McPherson. They probably wouldn't have gotten to Tennessee without Evan McPherson. I mean, he has been phenomenal for them. Correct me if I'm wrong. He hasn't missed a single kick. He no. has been insane. And that is why you draft a kicker. Um, let's see what else I'd like, because there are a couple that I do have in mind. Um, I think when you look at the Joe Burrow numbers, he's got 280 and a half for his passing yards total. I think that's pretty high. I'd go under on Joe Burrow, 280 and a half. Um, same with Stafford. He's a 285 and a half. That does seem a little bit high to me. I'd go under on both the quarterbacks passing yards. Um, I, I think it's going to be more of a defensive game, which is why I said the under, but I also think they're going to be running the ball a little bit too. So I would look at mix and props. I'm not sure exactly what they're going to be looking at. You gave out the cup stat. So I'll say Cooper cup over 107 and a half yards, even though I don't love it. Cause wild. I do think wild, wild number, <laughs> wild number. I don't know if I love it. Cause he is going to get double teamed. I think for at least a good portion of the game but you gave that that stat and 17 to 20 is too much to ignore. So we'll go with that. And where are my Odell Beckham props right here? Over 65 and a half yards for Odell Beckham. That's a really easy one. I like that a lot. The other one I saw that a good friend of mine, shout out to Walter Picks, 
his lock of the Super Bowl. Give me a minute while this is loading here. I know you, you were thrilled to have that resubscription. He's good with the locks. He is. Um, <laughs> so I will Samaj P. Ryan under 13 and a half receiving yards. I know he had the one big play against Kansas City off the catch, but he's not someone who I think is going to be too involved in this game plan. I think they're going to use Mixon for the majority of the time because they don't have to worry about keeping Mixon fresh after this. So I think Mixon is going to be there for 80 to 85% of the snaps. And I don't see a lot of acting from Pirine. I would go under 13 and a half. There you go. Uh, it's going to be heads on the coin Jamar toss. Chase longest reception over 27 and a half. That's an easy one. Yeah, I'd say so. Especially if he's going up against Ramsey. Uh, R- Ramsey, the one place where he's prone is deep ball. Um, I would say orange Gatorade, just because, you know, Gatorade, orange is a very popular color. The Bengals, uh, they're an orange team. I don't like orange Gatorade. I don't either. I'm, I'm a blue. Blue is true. Blue, red, or purple, I go. Yeah, purple purple's good. Red's fine. Uh, so I'd, I'd say orange is probably the safe bet. Even if it's the Rams side, I mean, orange Gatorade, popular. Uh, yellow Gatorade stinks is really the one that stinks, if we're being honest. Uh, heads I on the coin think toss. The orange is worse. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's definitely right there. Heads on the coin toss for me. Uh, I actually think there's going to be a touchback, uh, especially if, uh, if McPherson's kicking off. Yes. He's got a big leg. He does He's have a big, got a big leg. leg. And is it Matt Gay doing the kickoffs or is it the punter? It's Matt Gay. He, uh, he doesn't always get touchbacks, but I got a feeling the Rams are going to lose the coin toss. Uh, so there's that. Hmm. I, I will say that uh, I think there will Cam be a Akers, touchback. 65 and a half rushing yards. You like over or under there? Uh, maybe under because Daryl Henderson got activated. And for the first time, right. all three I saw guys that. That's activated. something I wanted to bring up too. So they got a three-headed monster out there in the backfield now. I mean, three-headed monsters, an exaggeration, but they have three right. running backs who are serviceable. But do you think Henderson is really going to get some opportunities out there? Are they going to stick with the guys who are a little more seasoned and have their legs under them and Michelle and, and, um, Akers. Akers. Thank you. Uh, I I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, that's a blind guess, honestly, but I mean, they're activating him for a reason, which means that Jake Funk's probably going to be inactive. That's sad. Six, sixth round rookie out of Maryland. His last name's Funk. We love that. We want the funk. Um, no, Evan McPherson, though, over seven and a half points. Really uh, easy. I like that. I also saw some people saying that over two and a half players to throw a pass is a good bet. It, it just takes no. one play. It just takes one play, one trick play. No, that's just, that's another one of those gimmicks that I don't touch. That's just me, but. That is certainly a fun thing to root for. And to be honest with you, I think I had it last Super Bowl, but that's just a gimmick. Yeah. I mean, it could be, but we'll see. It's a fun bet. You're getting that at plus odds, plus odds for just one play. Um, You got anything else, Josh? I do not. Do you? No, let's go into final thoughts. Uh, You want to go first? Um, Yeah, sure. I'll go first. Um, 
it's just a phenomenal sports weekend. I mean, I don't know what else to say about it. Obviously, you're looking at the Super Bowl, but good slate of college basketball on Saturday. You got the Waste Management Open to enjoy. And I'll talk a little UFC as well, because I think this fight card is going to be really interesting. First of all, I'm only really worried about the two main events. So we'll start with that. Tied to Ivasa and Derek Lewis, big heavyweight matchup. There's no chance of things going out of the first round. These are two complete knockout artists, and it's going to be an absolute bloodbath. They're going to come in swinging, and it's going to be crazy. Honestly, this fight probably won't last longer than like two, three minutes, but we'll see how it goes. I think it's going to be a really, really cool fight. I'm leaning Derek Lewis, not sure where to go, but it's definitely going to be done pretty quickly. So make sure you're watching that one. Don't get up right before the fight starts because you will miss the entire fight. Um, in terms of the main event, though, Israel Adesanya against Robert Whitaker, too. Really interesting fight. Obviously, we know Israel Adesanya, belt holder, has had it for a long time now and beat Whitaker before. And now Whitaker's worked his way back up to fight him. And I think this is going to be a really interesting one. I think Whitaker has definitely improved more than Adesanya has since the last matchup. But I do think Izzy's going to be able to get the job done. We know what he's able to do in the octagon. He's going to come in put on a show and make beautiful, violent art, as he likes to say. And I just think that's the greatest catchphrase in the world. I don't know if you caught that one, Dom, but I think that one is sick, beautiful, violent art. Hope you can appreciate that one because you're going to see something beautiful on Saturday night if you tune into UFC. Uh, I'm uh, I'm not I'm not a big UFC guy, so. but uh, I've been kind of following the recent news because the Joe Rogan stuff has been interesting and then the fighters especially the black ones have been like backing him up yeah adesanya mentioned it today in the press conference he said he's known joe rogan for a long time and like joe is really one of the most down-to-earth humble people he's ever met and there's no bad blood between the two of them after the recent allegations that have come out about him so we'll see how it goes i don't remember if i've seen anything about Joe Rogan not being a part of this broadcast tomorrow night. I would assume he will be because he's been there for every other UFC main event, but we'll see. I'd assume Rogan will be there like he always is providing the insightful analysis that he does to these UFC events. And I'm looking forward to it. Yep. My final thought, I'm confident in saying this, that there are two teams who are capable of winning the national championship in basketball this year. And they are the Arizona Wildcats and the Gonzaga Bulldogs. Uh, these two teams. Uh, I'm sorry. Can you just repeat that? I want to make sure I didn't miss what you just said. There are two teams in this country who are capable of winning the national championship. You're wrong. I know you think Auburn, but I, You're I don't wrong. think. You're wrong. Really... You are flat out wrong to not put Auburn in this conversation. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, Auburn's good. I'm not going to tell you they're not, but uh, Arizona and Gonzaga have dominated the teams that they should absolutely dominate and even teams that they shouldn't dominate. They have dominated them on the road at home, neutral floors. That's what they've done. These two teams, their four losses, neutral site, really a home game. If we're, if we're going to be completely honest against Alabama, uh, neutral site against Duke at UCLA and at Tennessee. Those are four of the best losses in the country at this point, all four. How, how about in the Bahamas a double overtime against UConn or in Arkansas? Yeah. I mean, those are good losses. I never said they weren't, but what no. makes you think Auburn is not a national championship team? Uh, their point guard isn't a dominant scorer, 
and the other guy to be a scorer. Almost every team that has ever won a national championship game, their point guard has been a pretty dominant scorer. Now they they do have scorers outside of them. They have Jabari Smith, who is unbelievable. He's a really good player, but those two teams don't have the size at the guard and down low and down low. Auburn hundred percent has the size down low, but they don't have the size uh, at the guard position to match up with Gonzaga in Arizona. Uh, Chet is absolutely unbelievable. He's just dominating and he's been so fun to watch. Uh, He'll be better in the pros without a doubt, but uh, Chet Holmgren shoots 73% from the line, 76% from two and 46% from three. (laughs) Six percent from two, and forty six and forty six percent from three. Forty six percent at seven That's feet nuts. tall, right? And I mean Jabari Smith's really good too. Here, let me let Kids me pull up Jabari. Let me pull up Jabari Smith's numbers too. Eighty one percent from the line, forty five percent from two, and forty percent from three. And, and, and I want to make it clear that 6'10". I'm not discrediting U of A or Gonzaga by any means. I mean, I think we're talking about the three best teams in the country, but. I would put Auburn one. Yeah, I, I think Auburn's four, if I'm being honest. I, I'd, put Kentucky, I'd put Kentucky in front of them. Please, did you watch that game? I did. Kentucky was killing them until Ty Ty got hurt. Yeah, that was what, 10 minutes in, 12 minutes in? Yeah. Okay, so for the last 28 to 30 minutes, Auburn dominated. Yeah, when Kentucky was no longer at full strength. Anyways, they're, they're all really good. Uh, but I, I think that the size and the speed of Gonzaga and Arizona is I, – I, I don't think teams can beat them. They're also better defensively than Auburn is, too. And Auburn's good defensively. Especially, I mean, Walker Kessler is the best shot blocker in the nation. But My Chet favorite Holm, player in the country. And it's Chet Holmgren's close. really good. Yeah, he's a lot of fun. But I if I think Gonzaga or Arizona's going to win the national championship this year, I'm, I'm ready to get hurt. Like, like you and I both did in 2019 by Gonzaga again, I'm ready. And I got hurt by Gonzaga last year too. Yeah. That was brutal. All uh, right. I, I can't let myself pick Gonzaga this year. Cause they're just going to break my heart again. I know those stupid bulldogs. It's all they do. It's all they do, man. Yep. That, that's going to wrap up this episode of split the scene podcast. Uh, Leo should be back with us next week to break down the super bowl. Hopefully we have some more baseball news. Uh, we'll see what other NFL news we have as well. Uh, thank you all for tuning in. Make sure to follow us on Twitter uh, at split seam. And then uh, make sure to follow us on Spotify and wherever you listen to your podcasts. Thank you all for tuning in.